Welcome to Raiders Roundtable, presented by America First Credit Union. JT, along with Eddie Pascal, we're going to have Bucky Brooks join us from NFL Network. We're really excited about that. As the Raiders kept the streak alive against the Denver Broncos, that is eight in a row and undefeated in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. And, Eddie, I just thought the Raiders probably played their best game of the year, even with the 63-point game. I just thought this was precision football, and they went out on a high note. Yeah, I mean, for me, JT, it it felt complete. It Mm -hmm. felt like a a complete victory. It felt like the Raiders playing in themselves in the best possible way, playing within themselves, I should say. And I think if you're Antonio Pierce, what a a moment to end on in front of the fans. Uh, You know, you have all three phases of this team really rocking and rolling. It was a lot of fun yesterday at Allegiant. Yeah, and we said that all week leading Mm -hmm. up on Roundtable and Radio and all the other platforms that there was something to play for. And 100%. I want to get this out of the way. The key for me was to send Sean Payton and the Broncos home without a winning season, with a loss being swept, and not having them with something big to build on. That was the key to this game. Both coaches had a lot on the line. Both teams were inspired and ready to play. The Raiders were just better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, give credit to the Broncos, too, for coming out. They certainly didn't lay over no, by any stretch of the imagination. So, really, it was so much fun, JT. It was for two teams that had no playoff aspirations going into the game. That was just a fun, spirited, good football game. And, obviously, the silver and black came out on top, which is great news for us. But across the board, it was just good football. It was fun to watch. Let's take a look at the highlights of the game for all of our viewers and our listeners here. And to start off, Antonio Pierce. He doesn't know his future. I think we'll get to that coming up here because he did a hell of a job. And there's a lot of good news hopefully coming here. But right out of the gate their ability to establish the run, and Zeus was running downhill. That was good to see early. I, I mean, for me, JT, going into this game, the Broncos have not been able to stop anyone on the ground in 2023, and I said if the Raiders can run the ball effectively, which they did, uh, I like their chances, and certainly that played out on Sunday. I like him as a receiver too. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, when healthy, can do it both. You have to be able to do both. Aiden was locked in with his accuracy early. You could tell that Bo Hardigree wanted to get him going, and I love this play. This, this is kind of where I sit with my family, and he was running towards us, and when he made the move, Jacoby, I knew he had to juke out a defender at the end. He wouldn't have been able to beat him uh, to the goal line. He made an athletic move. Look, nothing there. He could have threw it away, and then he takes off, and then boom, coming up to the goal line, little head fake, boom, he gets in. That was momentous for the team. I, I mean, I think, JT, too, as you know, you're in the very last race season of the game, empty the playbook. Let's have some yeah. fun, and I think credit to Bo Hardigree and, and the offensive staff for doing just that. Uh, Denver's got some good players going forward. They have a big quarterback issue going forward. I thought Jared Stidham did not win the job going into next year. He had a good opportunity. He's a big, strong player, played for the silver and black here. And it was nice, Eddie, that the Raiders were playing with the lead. Remember, they were chasing Indianapolis last time. Yeah, I mean, such a just a difference in tone of tenor of this game, right? It felt like the Raiders were on the front foot from Jump Street, and I think we see the benefits of that across the board uh, against the Broncos there. Here's a Max Crosby sack, which is important because Max – you know, stats, individual stats, he doesn't care about that, but the fans do. And every game you see Max play, you're expecting a sack or two. Yeah, 100%. And I think just in terms of, we talked a lot this year about how the, the national media has changed around Max, the conversations surrounding him, and having him have these big moments against the division rival, really good to see. Uh, Jerry Judy and some of their wide receivers are really good. They have players who are big and strong, very athletic. So as we look at the clock, 10.30 to go in the game, tied up at 7. I thought the Raiders were the better team at this point. They wanted to get Devontae going. He had a couple of milestones that he wanted to get to. Yeah, Devontae did his thing. We have five catches for, for, excuse me, for 46 yards and a touchdown we'll get to in a little bit. But, I mean, Devontae, just as steady as they come, man, just a good quality all-pro level wide receiver. And they have good chemistry together. When they don't, it's evident. Yeah. When he's missing Devontae, you can say, oh 
him and Devontae aren't on the same page, but most of the time they are. And I just love the composure of Aiden here. Raiders catch a break yes, here. big time. As the ball comes back, they went to commercial and they reviewed it and came back. And I thought this was a pivotal moment of the game where the Raiders were not going to lose possession and the momentum in the game. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those big moments where you, you sit back and thankfully we can, uh, we can Monday morning quarterback and say, thankfully it worked out for the Raiders uh, in, in their favor. But yeah, a big moment that thankfully went the Raiders' way. Could, uh, could a kick go down the middle more than that? Oh, he's so I mean, good. He's right so good. down the middle for Carlson. Look at the jump that Max got on this play, which caused chaos because Max timed mm-hmm. that beautifully. Uh, he would have had a sack here. Just another opportunity for a Raider defender on the other side to make a play. And we saw this here again. Look at Isaiah Palomal come down and make an athletic play. I love when the safeties in the corners are playing behind the line of scrimmage. 100%. I think if we kind of zoom out on the defense, too, we saw a lot of the young guys on the defensive side of the football kind of ball out. You talked about Isaiah Tyree gets after the quarterback. It was good to see these young building blocks do their thing. This is the moment for me, the best drive of the entire season, backed up against their own end zone. The Raiders come out. They come out firing. And it's nice when you throw the ball to Trey Tucker, when you let him have one-on-one coverage, the safety gets over there late. This is what we should have saw more of this year. I hope the Raiders build on it. And then, Eddie, take us through the touchdown here because it was weird. He extends the play by going backward. Devontae doesn't see the ball. Yeah. And then it's right in front of him, and he makes an athletic play. Yeah, I mean, that's just Devontae being Devontae as we watch the replay here. But, man, it was uh, it's one of those things. We talked about the chemistry. I don't think this is a touchdown that happens week seven, week eight. This no. is one Good time point. on task, uh, Aiden and Devontae doing their thing. So we're in the third quarter with under 430 to go, 17 to 7. You knew that Stidham was going to take some deep shots. Look at this Ooh. play by Jack Jones. Not only did he did he deflect it, but if he doesn't time the jump perfectly, he's coming down. If he doesn't time that perfectly, he doesn't get a hand on it. That could have been a game saver. You know, Jack Jones was talking post game. He said, "Oh, that's what I need to come down with." But ironically, because he didn't come down with it, it actually helped field position yeah. and helped the Raiders, uh, as we see here on that on that fourth down. But man, you can't say enough good things about the uh, midseason addition of Jack Jones. And that showed us a lot too, because Sean Payton going for it in the third quarter. Yeah. That's what he should do. Mm-hmm. Season's over yeah. for Denver. They're going to keep it and try to extend plays. 17-7. We're in the fourth quarter now underway. One of my favorite balls of the year because of the pump fake. I told this to Eric Allen earlier today. Look at the pump fake. That's Rich Gannon. Mm-hmm. What, what made Gannon an MVP was his ability to use his mind in the pump fake to change the field and the safety's eyes. He did it on that play. Yeah, I think, JT, going into this final stretch, all we wanted to see from Aiden was incremental improvement, mm-hmm. right? Steady incremental improvement. And I think that throw and the way you described it 100% is that, is getting better week after week after week. This was a nice touchdown for Denver. Yeah, 100%. An athletic play after the catch and – Look, the Raiders knew down at the goal line here that they were going to try to – this is fourth and goal. The game officially ends if they don't get in. They get in, and I I was up in the booth with the guys and said, we got a game, two-score game. But how about this, Eddie, on that third and six, they throw it to the marker, Mm. which I've been preaching to you all year. that's your thing. Not underneath, hoping to get it there, and they get these first downs. And this is where the game – they put the game out of reach with these first critical downs here that just was milking the clock to under five minutes And to you know go. what this is, JT? This is just execution, right? This is just kind of, you know, you're executing your plan. You're better than the opposition. You're saying, hey, this is what we're going to yeah. do, and this is how we're going to do it. And credit to the entire staff because at the big moment and the final game of the year, it was awesome to see. How about Hooper there? Can yeah. he play? Ooh, no doubt. He's a, a good bit. tight end in this league. I wonder what his future looks like. Raiders put the game away here 27-14. And then at the end, you know, I did this— this for many years in Alameda with the coaches running to the black hole. 
And there was no way Antonio Pierce was going into the locker room. He wanted to stop there and thank the fans for the support. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it going into this week, JT, about a, a perfect opportunity to say thank you for the fans who have been up with us, who've been down with us in 2023. So credit to AP for acknowledging that moment, for understanding that moment, uh, and saying his, uh, saying his thank you. You were on the, the podcast after the game in the fifth quarter. When you look at these stats, what jumped out at you? Uh, third down. I like third down, mm, right? Uh, above, excuse me, above 50% there on third down. And the big one, JT, is those two zeros right there, my friend. Zero penalties, zero Zero yards. Second time in 2023 that was the case with the Silver. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you play an NFL game with no penalties because there's a penalty that could be called, especially in this league, on every play. That is a clean, Mm -hmm. decisive stat sheet for the Raiders, and they did everything right. I like the 129 rushing and the third down, as you said, but to have no penalties, that's a testament to Antonio Pierce telling his players to play smart, don't get us in trouble. There were a couple of costly penalties in Indy. Not a lot of them, but all were really costly. That was never an issue in this game. You know, and really, I think the best part about that is it wasn't a flash in the pan, right? You know, we saw this uh, this stat come out from our PR staff earlier in the evening where they said now the Rays are officially the least penalized team in 2023, oh. which if I would have told you that at the beginning of the year, JT, I wouldn't have believed it. You certainly wouldn't have believed it. And it really is a testament to the discipline mm-hmm. that AP has kind of instilled right. in this group. And credit to all 50, 53 guys on that roster for buying into that. Well, there's no way you become a team that knocks down the penalties that drastically unless the coaches are doing a great job. Yeah. They're preaching something in these team meetings, and the players are locked in. They play for this interim head coach, and now the interim tags off. He'll either be the head coach or not, and I hope he is because he did a great job so far this year. But Antonio Pierce instilled discipline, enthusiasm, 100%. energy. They were always prepared to play. Even in the loss 3 nothing. they were prepared to play. Even in the loss in Miami where they went out late and got there, they were ready to play in the first quarter and held the Dolphins in check. I just love the way this team prepared in Henderson and were ready to play on game day. You know, I think what was beautiful about this year, JT, and we'll have a lot of time to zoom out and dissect what happened, what worked, what worked, what didn't work and all that, but really the one thing that was undebatable about this team, they had a ton of heart. There was no one out there who could say the Raiders did not come to play every single day. And I think for to Antonio's credit too, I think, you know, it, some of the stuff that you can't really define, but he made – the Raiders cool again, right? He made the guys in that locker room have their chest out a little bit, say, hey, this is who we are and what we're about, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Great point, Eddie, because he took over a team where a lot of the coaches were retained by the previous regime Mm. and said, look, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you're doing. Do better. Let's go win games, and the Raiders were able to do that, and that was an exclamation point against the Denver Broncos. I love beating Denver. Yes. And the Denver Bronco fans who walked past me on the postgame show after the game had their head down. And, look, Sean Payton's going to have that team playing well in the future, but he has not beaten the Las Vegas Raiders. When we come back, Bucky Brooks from NFL.com, NFL Network will join us. You catch him on a lot of Raider platforms. He's going to come in here and give us a breakdown of the entire year and what to look ahead with. Bucky Brooks on deck as we continue on the roundtable. Welcome back to Raiders Roundtable along with Eddie Pascal. I'm JT. Bucky Brooks, kind enough to join us. All the great work he does on NFL Network, NFL.com, and here with us with the Silver and Black. And Bucky, I'll jump in and start with that game for the Raiders. They wanted it bad. They wanted to sweep the Broncos and send AP off as the interim coach with something to look forward to. Give me your big picture on the performance by the Silver and Black. Yeah, just really solid, man. I I can't say enough about how the team has responded to AP's leadership. I just think uh, the connectivity that you see between coaches and players is something that we haven't seen in a long time. 
And then looking in the locker room after the game, seeing Marcus Allen and Charles Woodson and all those guys coming back, uh, I think you could tell that they were playing for something beyond the team. They were playing for the brand. And as you think about, like, kind of jump-starting the program going next year, regardless of whether AP is the coach, I think that synergy remains the same. I think it was a great send-off for uh, AP. I think it was a great finish to the season. Yeah, 100%. A great moment for those fans at Allegiant Stadium, too, yesterday, Buck. But, you know, when we look at 2023, and JT and I have talked about it a lot over the past, you know, 10, 12 weeks, the identity of this team was the Raiders' defense. And really, since Antonio Pierce got got the uh, interim head coaching role, that defense went from good to really good. Uh, you look at Max Crosby, a guy who's playing out of his mind, the emergence of Malcolm Kuhn, some of those young guys on the defensive side of the football. For you, Buck, what was kind of the, the biggest difference with this Raiders' defense uh, when Antonio Pierce got that uh, interim head coaching role? <laughs> uh, I think it became a defensive emphasis. Uh, sometimes the head coach, depending on what side of the ball he comes from, that side gets a little more attention or that side gets a little more pressure. Um, can't underscore the job that Patrick Graham did to get this team up and going and get them to the next level. But, but then I think all the lessons kind of came to play, like all the things that they talked about, all the stuff that they were really emphasizing. We saw that running to the ball, tackling, keeping the ball in front, uh, making it a very physical affair at every level of the defense. All those things played out. And when you play the kind of defense that they were able to play, man, you're always going to be in a game. And it's one of the reasons why they were in so many games after Antonio Pierce took over the job. Bucky, let's stay with the defense because I don't think they have as many holes going forward as we're looking at Jack Jones, assuming he's obviously back and Antonio Pierce guy, very good player who's had an impact. Max Spillane, Diablo, Merrig, Epps, Jacorian Bennett, as you know, being developed as a higher draft pick. What we know that we're going to see going forward with Nate Hobbs, who's a very good player who has, who has tremendous upside. And then the evolution of Malcolm Koontz. If you look at this and helicopter it from the top here, the personnel for the Raiders on defense, how close are they to even being better next year? Oh, I think they can be much better. And I think what you have is a nice foundation because mm-hmm. – they now know that what all the coaches were talking about, it works. If Patrick Graham is the defense coordinator in particular, like they know that the system works. They've seen it work. There's tape that shows if we do X, Y, and Z, we can win and dominate. So those things are good. I think the other thing that you have to look for is can they find another pass rusher, whether it's inside or outside, the elite teams in the league, they're able to get to the passer with three different guys. One inside, two outside, and then you just kind of squeeze the pocket. Can you find more guys that can do that? Has some combinations, and maybe Tyree Wilson can do that. He plays some inside mm-hmm. and those things. But I think, look, they're obviously trending up. You just got to make sure that you continue to build upon where you left off at the end of this season. You know, the emergence of Malcolm Coons in 2023 was one of the best storylines. Eight sacks in the nine games where AP was the interim head coach. And and we saw what that did for Max Crosby, Bucky, and just another dominant outing for number 98, another great campaign for him. But if you're Max and you're able to now get that production like you talk about from Malcolm Coons for 17 games on the other side of you, what kind of fun, dynamic things does that open up for you? Well, it opens up because, like, the elite teams have multiple pass rushers. And what you want to do is Max Crosby will also always be the number one pass rusher. So he'll always get the attention. The guy on the backside has to be capable enough to win the one-on-one battles. And then if you have that other person on the interior that can win one-on-one, well, then it becomes fun. The other thing that can happen is if you have guys who have interchangeable skills, now what you do is you allow Max Crosby to go to the weak link. 
hey, man, you go wherever you go. We'll line up according to you, and then we can hunt. There's a lot of creative things that you can do when you have multiple pass rushes on that front line. Bucky, when we get to Max, and we'll stay here on what he has to do, he's in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. I'm biased here, but what I love what I see him do live and when they're on the road is the tackle for losses and the tackle for losses on top of the sacks, but how he goes sideline to sideline. He can start in the backfield rushing the quarterback and then go to the other side running full speed out of bounds to make a hit. Now, there are a lot of other great players in this league, but I don't see, other than T.J. Watt uh, or Micah Parsons, I don't see anyone else really doing that sideline to sideline. What distinguishes him as he moves forward into next year, knowing he's a pro bowler and a great future, I think, potential Hall of Famer? You know, he's an all-pro player. He's an all-pro caliber player, and the numbers will eventually get to the point where we talk about him in that light. Mm -hmm. The thing that he does is, and it's, it's underrated, it's not talked about, he plays so hard. And you would like to think that effort isn't a consideration, but the great players play hard. He empties the bucket all the time. And when you hear AP talk about, we need to get everybody to match Max Crosby's energy, that's what he's saying. Because if you can have 11 guys that play balls to the wall like he does, it then allows your defense to be ferocious. And you begin to see the kind of results that you saw. But it starts with him because he is the point on the sword. He is the leader of the defense. And as he plays with that, that effort, it makes everybody else play with the same kind of effort because that is the standard. Yeah, 100%. I think the big thing for us this year is we wanted to see Max bring guys with him, right? We knew we were going to get the effort, the energy, the commitment from number, from number 98. But, hey, let's see you bring the rest of the roster with you, and that's exactly what Max did. But, Bucky, switching to the offensive side of the football, you know, really over the past, let's call it six or so weeks, we've been looking for the improvement, right, from the guys on the offense, from your Trey Tuckers, from your, your Michael Mayers. And I think that you have to start that conversation with guys that really finish strong with Zamir White. He finishes, uh, you know, the, these final four games mm-hmm. with Josh Jacobs uh, unable to go. But, you know, what did you see from Zamir? And you look at the at the rushing numbers since Zamir, Zamir took over, Bucky, and the Raiders go for 129 yesterday, averaged over four yards a carry. I mean, what works when Zeus is uh, input, you know, put in the backfield there? Uh, look, very similar to what worked when Josh Jacobs was there. Not necessarily the same player, but they run with a very violent physical style. And there was a concerted effort to run the football. Every time you heard AP talk about the team, he talked about physicality, violence, toughness, imposing your will. Well, if you want to do that, your running back has to play with that kind of vigor. And you saw that violent runner, downhill runner, ran through contact, finished runs, and appeared to have the competitive stamina to get stronger as the game goes on. So now it's about talking to Zamir at the end of the season and saying the difference between the good and the great ones is they can do it for 17 games. So can you get yourself into a position where you're in great shape, you have the right mindset that you're going to be the starter and you're going to be the workhorse back? A lot of times when guys get elevated from being the number two to the number one, they're not ready to handle the role, uh, that the, the responsibilities that come with that. He has shown that in a small sample size. Well, now he has to ready his mind to be the full-time guy, regardless of whether Josh Jacobs is there or not. Bucky, what I find fascinating when we saw you in the preseason, if you look at this team and what their expectations were on offense, they just came up short, and it got the head coach fired, and the former regime drafted these young players who actually played better after they dismissed the coach, and it wasn't an offensive coach. Bo Hardigree was calling the plays here, but Antonio Pierce, a former linebacker and a defensive coach. What do you think clicked with some of these younger players? Did they play with nothing to lose? Did they play freer? Were the play designs better because with Zeus, Tucker, especially Michael Mayer went healthy, and Aiden O'Connell, those young players got some really nice chemistry going forward. 
Okay, so I'm an old school Raider, and I come from uh, the school of thought that when the Raiders had their coaching staff, they always had a bunch of former Raiders, a bunch of mm-hmm. former players there. There is something about the connectivity of when a former player stands in front of the room and he talks, it has a different uh, respect level. There's some credibility there. And the way that AP handled it, because people think being a player's coach is being easy. No, being a player's coach is being relatable, meaning I can go hard at you because I know how hard it is. But I also can relate to the challenges that are out there between the lines. I think some of that was conveyed. I think AP being able to say, look, man, I know this is a hard down, but this is what you got to do. I think the practice habits, um, the demands, um, what they did, I think it was very reminiscent of the old school Raiders that had a bunch of those great players kind of inserted on the coaching staff. I think there's just a connectivity that AP and the rest of the staff had with the young players. I think it just clicked. And when I listen to Jack Jones and I listen to some of the younger players talk about it, they talked about that relatability and just kind of getting it. I think AP was able to communicate it maybe in a different way than the previous year seen. You know, it's so interesting, Bucky, because uh, JT and I were talking about that earlier, where AP just <laughs> seemed to connect with this group, seemed to connect with this fan base in a way that was very real, very authentic to him, uh, and it was a lot of fun to watch over the latter part of the season. Well, it is the most scrutinized position in all of sports, and we've got to talk about it too, is the quarterback. And, and you know, you look at Aiden O'Connell, who finishes 2023 in a really nice kind of run there. Uh, eight, excuse me, eight touchdowns, no interceptions over that final four. But, Buck, when you kind of evaluated Aiden coming out, uh, and certainly a guy who has a lot of skills, right? A lot of room to grow. What kind of stood out to you from uh, from the young signal caller for the silver and black? Well, some of the things that we saw, like he was a very mature player. Um, uh, very mature, had a lot of snaps at Purdue. He had been around the college game a lot, so it wasn't necessarily new to him. Now, he still had to learn and had to adapt to the pro game. But I think the thing that he was able to do, particularly after AP took over, take care of the football. Uh, turnovers are the number one deciding factor in who wins and loses games. And so when he took care of the ball, you notice that they won. And he strikes me as a guy that uh, is selfless with his ego. So it wasn't about the numbers. It was about the W. And when you have a player like that, they're willing to kind of check their ego at the door. And sometimes it's a 300-yard passing game that's needed. Sometimes it's, hey, man, I'm going to throw maybe 400 yards, but I'm going to hand it off, but we're winning. And I'm okay with that. At the end of the day, the W is what everyone wants and I think he's been able to do that the interesting thing will be is he good enough to help this team go to the next level or is he good enough if surrounded by even more talent to kind of be the bus driver everyone hates the term the game manager but the guy that can just kind of be the pass first point guard that allows the playmakers to do their job he's shown flashes of that but how much confidence do you have in him to be able to do that and can you continue to upgrade the supporting cast around him to allow him to be very, very comfortable in that kind of role. Great analysis as always, Bucky. I'll tell you, it's a very complicated topic. You do a lot of work in regards to grades and the draft, and I don't think at 13 the Raiders can get one of these top two or three quarterbacks. They can't. They're going to have to trade up. And what do you do now going forward? Because Aiden has proven that he is a quarterback in this building, very cap-friendly contract, proven in this environment. You made a great point about his ego. He's perfect to be the backup, or to compete for the starter? Is it a veteran? Is it trading up to get an elite quarterback? How complicated is this issue for the Raiders heading into the offseason? Well, it's not complicated because you know you have someone that Mm -hmm. if the season started tomorrow, you have someone who can start. So now what you're looking for is really the right fit. And I think fit is everything when it comes to the program and the Raiders and whoever the head coach is. And so 
there are going to be a lot of veterans that are going to be available. There are going to be some young guys that come available. The thing that you're looking for is you're looking at the position. Who do we want to be? Who would be the right fit? You've seen how it worked with Aiden O'Connell. So now you're looking for someone who can check their ego at the door, who doesn't have to be the, the quote-unquote franchise guy where it's all about them. It's about the silver and black. To me, I think it's more about fit than a do we have to move up to get them and those things. And the only thing you can do is interview guys, do background checks, talk to people around, talk to teammates that are played with the perspective quarterbacks that you're talking about and see are they worthy of being guys that can kind of fit in and help this team continue to make those steps to be in a playoff and then eventually a title contender. Well, you know, Bucky, we're going to talk a lot about the quarterbacks over the next two, three, four months for the Silver and Black and really for all the teams across the NFL. But when you kind of take a look at this draft class in general, Bucky, the, the 2022, 2024 class, excuse me, what position groups do we as fans need to be keeping an eye on? What are the deep groups coming out in April's draft? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we said uh, every year the wide receiver class is special. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a ton of guys that can can do it. And it's just like just the depth of talent that is always available there. So. The wide receiver position will get a lot of conversation. People will talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of the other guys, Keon Coleman, that are at the top of the board. Uh, offensive line is deep. You have plenty of offensive tackles that can be able to get it done. Um, we'll see some of those guys actually play on uh, the national championship game, and so that will be exciting. But um, not necessarily the pass rushers, but you'll see some interior defensive linemen that can do it. But at the end of the day, if you can build a championship team, you got to be able to fortify the trenches and there are plenty of guys that are available in the trenches that should be able to help yeah bucky i'll follow up with that i've been saying here with the former regimes and i'll say it to you they got to get an offensive lineman that's proven in this league i think a veteran a former pro bowler if you got to pay over for it go get them you got colt miller coming back you get a right tackle you have depth there there's been too many swing players here too many players that are not above average that are good but are an elite. And I think the Raiders, depending on what they do long-term with the quarterback and the coach, have got to find one diamond in the rough, one former player from another team. Time ran out. The price is right. And go get them. And don't wait for camp. And get that player in-house here, reportedly 50-plus million potentially to work with here. Do you think the Raiders, your gut feeling, think they'll be aggressive in the offseason with free agents? Or is the program heading in a direction where they're going to draft and develop young players? You know, a lot of it depends on who becomes the the permanent general mm-hmm. manager and head coach and what their philosophies are. But you are right. It's hard to continue to have a turnstile on the offensive line. At some point, you would like to get the, to the place where you have an offensive line that's together three, four years because that chemistry and the connectivity is important. Also, you've seen if you have a dominant offensive line, you can have lesser guys at running back and be effective. You can have lesser guys. Sometimes a quarterback can be effective because they're protected. The offense, this league is a line of scrimmage league. You got to be dominant on the offensive line. You got to be dominant on the defensive line. If you're good in those two areas, it allows you to do a bunch of different stuff to match whatever deficiencies you have behind them. But you cannot be weak at the front line on either area and expect to be a championship team. Well, you know, Buck, before we let you go, as we kind of wrap up 2023 and we look ahead to an uncertain future, right? No one knows in this room what's going to happen in terms of the, uh, the front office. But when you as a former player kind of look back at what Antonio Pierce brought to the silver and black in 2023, certainly a, a, a period of ups and downs, a lot of exciting moments. But what's kind of going to stick with you about what Antonio brought to this program? Uh, I brought a swag back. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's been around the program for a long time, when Mr. Davis was around, like you felt the mystique of the Raiders. I think AP bringing that back. And I think what's fascinating is 
having not played there, but growing up being a fan, he was able to kind of feel some of that, the way that the fan base really embraced him, the way that he embraced the fan base, like all this stuff. Some people run from that. He ran to that. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. And knowing AP personally, having watched him grow from being an uh, undrafted player to being a Pro Bowl player, Super Bowl champion, to watch him coach high school, then to college, watching him take all those lessons that he learned along the way and put him into practice as an interim coach, to me, it's remarkable. To think about what he was able to do in a nine-game run as an interim coach, man, if you can only imagine how much better he can be as a coach when he continues to learn and grow, when he's able to really put his full stamp on the program. Look, man, I just admire the job he done. I think he did a great job, and I think he, he upped it any when it came to the excitement around the program. Nicely said, Bucky. As always, really appreciate your work, everything you do behind the scenes with your career, all your analysis. I know your busy season's coming up here, and we'll be talking to you a bunch. Thanks for joining us on Raiders Roundtable. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me on. You got it. There he is, Bucky Brooks. Nice. He said remarkable yeah. at the end when he described Antonio Pierce, and I think that's important. He played in the league. He's highly respected, Bucky is, and he knows what Antonio Pierce did. If you're a former player, it might be easier than a fan to see the accomplishments of Antonio Pierce. Yeah, I mean, in hearing it from Buck, and we've heard it from a bunch of people, JT, but, you know, there is just that something mm-hmm. special about Antonio, something, that re- that human element. And he's talked about it a lot. He goes, you need to be able to relate to your players. You need to be able to re- relate to everyone in the building, the equipment managers, the folks in the front office, whoever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously neither of us know how the next two, three, four weeks are going to unfold, but, you know, always at nothing but love and respect. For It'll be exciting, Eddie. It, it always will. is. That's why we're proud to work for this organization. When we come back, we'll talk about the offseason the playoffs are here for the rest of the nfl the super bowl is in las vegas we got a lot of programming and some future roundtables coming up as we continue from the headquarters of the silver and black we'll wrap it up on raiders roundtable next one of the greatest plays in raider history is one of the greatest plays in super bowl history jack squirek rest in peace a great tribute to him at allegiant stadium Interesting, a lot of his former teammates were there. There were gold jackets. Jack wasn't a gold jacket. He was an iconic Raider. To have a play like that, that will define you and your family and your legacy with the silver and black, that means a lot. Yeah, I mean, just two things real quick. You know, the one, the visual of him doing that without gloves, right? You know, you see all these these players on the defensive side of the football doing it without gloves, though. But, you know, the other thing that I'm, I'm always so appreciative of, and I've said this time and time again, JT, this place does an incredible job of not only educating their fans, but educating their employees on why the Jack Squirics of the world, why they matter, why they are important, why you and I are not here having this conversation unless he does what he does. So, I mean, obviously, you know, just an incredible moment in Raiders history and uh, really, really fun to go uh, go down memory lane. Good to see our friend Johnny O, too. Yeah, Shout Johnny out to Johnny O. Johnny O had a lot to do with that. Yeah. And just saying, you used to see Jack at up in Napa at the alumni events that they had, and he was just such a humble guy and talking to him over the years on radio. He looks like a football player. Yeah. He looked like a surfer, a bodybuilder, a football player. And a lot of people have a heavy heart. We saw Matt Millen walking into the game yesterday. He did the broadcast. And how cool was that? Matt, we just featured yeah. Matt Millen. He did the broadcast for Fox yesterday and the Raiders won. And it just all ties it in full circle. I know Mark Davis and Mrs. Davis have a heavy heart for the Squirek family and all he was able to do. We want to wrap it up by thanking the fans. You know, I've been a member of the Black Hole since I – came to the Raiders, and to see what Mark Davis did yesterday on the sideline, we want to show you this, and the Black Hole did not know this, Mm -hmm. so this was a surprise 
that Mark was able to pull off here, and I thought it was really perfect to wrap up the season for all the fans. Yeah, I mean, such a great moment. And you and I were talking about leading into the week where I was really happy that the last season, or excuse me, the last game of the season was at home, right? So yeah. you have an opportunity to say thank you to the fans. You have an opportunity to say thank you to the 53 guys on that roster and the practice squad for all the blood, sweat, and tears that they put into this thing. But just an incredible moment right here as we see Mark Davis talking to uh, to some of the most diehard members of the Raider Nation. And, man, just really, really cool. And you and I have talked about it a bunch. That special uh, relationship that players have with these fans Really, really cool for them to get their moment in the sun. This was a sincere moment. Yeah. Because again, you can see the emotion. Yeah. Well, they didn't know, so they bring him down there to have that experience over a sideline pass. And then the owner of the franchise comes over and tells them how important they are to the family of the Raiders. And you could tell Mark got emotional here. He really wanted from the bottom of his heart and what the fans mean. And remember, these are fans, very important point, who are Oakland fans and LA fans. And when the move came in the beginning, it was not an easy sell for these people here. They all bought in. They were at the games. They're always at the game. Many of them violated Gorilla Rilla and his wife traveled to all the games. That's a lot of expense yeah. to go do that. And Mark really appreciated that. When you light the torch, that's Big pretty deal. impressive. And those guys and gals were really happy about that. A once in a lifetime moment. Yeah, absolutely no for that. them. And, and we talk about all the time, JT, we're there. You know, we talk about Jack Squirek and what he meant. Like, you and I don't get to do this without the backing of the fans. So we, yeah. we 100% appreciate them, respect them, and love them for what they bring to us. We want to thank everybody who downloads, subscribes, yeah. shares Raiders Roundtable. It was a big year. We had a lot of content. There was a lot going on behind the scenes, heading into the games, post games. We don't have this podcast and this forum without you, the great fans of the silver and black. We're going to have some off-season programming because there's a lot happening. Our in-depth analysis of the Super Bowl, what we're going to do from Radio Row, all the other programming, and some special features are all going to be coming from everyone at Silver and Black Productions. Thanks for joining us all season on Raiders Roundtable.